morning. No, I am not Pastor Gary. As we know, he is on sabbatical. And please remember to pray for him, that God would speak to him, give him refreshing, and uh, lead him in wisdom as he thinks about the next stage for our church. I'm seeing this caution marker on the floor next to me. Am I allowed to move it? This is kind of like, you know, you buy a, a blanket or something, and there's a tag on it that says, do not remove under penalty of law. How many people here have removed one of those tags? Come on, put your hand up. Okay, we're going to be reporting. I don't, I've done it. What happens to you if you remove that tag? <laughs> All right. Uh, we, we're pulling up. Because I uh, do things a little bit differently, yes, we had to, our system, lately we've been using in the back there something called ProPresenter, and everything is integrated nicely. But because I'm a teacher kind of person too, and so I have things happening on the screen behind me, and what I did didn't fit into ProPresenter. And so we're having to start the PowerPoint, the presentation separate from the presentation. And I am causing great pain and grief to the gentleman in the back. Are, are we okay? Is everything ready now? Wonderful. Nothing is happening. This is, there we go. Hey. How are you feeling today? This is on the cat scale. I could have done the dog scale. We have both in our house, so I kind of flipped a coin. Uh, which one of those cats represents you this morning? <laughs> number three. I'm kind of a number nine, but... Uh, <laughs> This gets us into our topic in a hurry. We're going to be talking about our feelings, about our emotions, and today we're going to be talking about what I'm calling baptized and sanctified emotions. Emotions are confusing our own and other people's. And there's a lot of questions Christians have about the emotions. Does the Bible even talk about our emotions, our personalities? Are my emotions sinful sometimes? Why do I feel sh ashamed about my emotions? Is going to a counselor okay? Why do I feel embarrassed to talk about how I'm feeling? Why do I do what I do? I'm feeling sad or anxious or fearful, maybe even all the time. How do I go on? And can a person with mental illness be accepted by God? For the next four weeks, we're going to look at emotions and, and the gospel. And this is a huge topic. And if I was teaching a, a course again, uh, in 13 weeks, we could begin to touch upon all the things to talk about. So today I'm just going to focus on one key part as an overview, and then for the next three weeks, we're going to look at some key emotional struggles that we might face. In fact, that we do face. So today will be a little different from a regular sermon, but don't worry, we'll get there. Now, I'm going to make sure our brains are awake, so I'm going to show you some pictures that are better than the cat ones, and I'm going to see if you can assess the emotions there, and I'm going to ask you to call out the emotions you see. Let's, let's look at some of the good emotions, the ones we like. What do you see up there? Somebody? Gratitude, okay. What else do you see? Joy? Excitement? What's the guy in the top corner? What? Nonchalant? Well, theoretically, he's feeling awful peaceful as he walks. What about the bottom corner with the two hands? Affection, love. Okay, if we've done the good ones, guess what comes next? What ones do you see up here? Sad? Fear? Anger? Confusion? Brokenness and disgust, yeah. Those ones aren't too good to look at. So what we're all going to do right now for a second is 
There's a connection between our minds and our emotions. So right now, I want everybody to smile, whether you feel like it or not. I want you to smile. Under, I know you're behind your mask, so you can cheat, but don't cheat. Smile. Do you know there's an actual physical connection in us, and when we smile, it makes us feel better, even though we didn't feel happy before. It may not make you joyful and jumping up and down, but there's an actual chemical, physical reaction that happens in our bodies when we smile, and we start to feel a little bit better. That's weird. We're weird. We're complex, weird creatures. We feel emotions. We can't just repress them, ignore them, especially these bad ones. We have to deal with them, but how do we do it? And this is a good season to talk about emotions, especially difficult ones, isn't it? Oh, how does COVID make you feel? How do you feel after 23 months of lockdowns and issues? I'm seeing eyes going to the ceiling. I'm seeing, huh. remember all those good things we had from smiling a second ago? Everybody's tensing up. And we see the frustration taking place in our nation's capital, people angry, churches angry, people angry at each other and frustrated. Well, those can't be terribly good emotions, can they? And of course, this is February. It's the season of sad seasonal affective disorder, when many people naturally tend to feel somewhat depressed. There's usually less sunlight. The Lord gave us sunlight today to prove me wrong. Uh, and often there's even more lack of contact with people. We have to deal with these heightened emotions, not just in ourselves, but in other people too. What can we do with our emotions of ours? So this is a complete change of topic from what we've been looking at with Pastor Gary, right? In the last several weeks. Well, maybe not. Last week we held a baptismal service. We've been looking at baptism. And Pastor Paul, last week, wove that into the idea of our life stories. And good stories, as we know, it's been said, touch the heart. They have an emotional component. Our life stories have an emotional component. And a baptism itself tells a story. Each stage in the process speaks of a new chapter in one's life and a new way of looking at and living in the world. There's a threefold aspect to baptism. There's a public confession. It's a confession of sin, of, a, of an old way of living that's been given up, and of coming to a decision. It's the story of our repentance. And we remember that repentance means turning around, doing things differently, being different. And then there's the symbol of the death to self, the being buried, the dying, a putting aside of things past. And in doing that, we receive God's justification for us. And the old way we learned it, some of us in Sunday school, was justification means just as if I had never sinned. God puts that sin behind and says, we can move on in newness. That's a pretty neat promise. And a pretty glorious promise for those of us who have experienced it. And then finally, that newness of life comes through God's empowering. And so we are raised to life. And the coming up out of the water opens us up to new stories because of God's grace and calling and filling our lives. And this is called the story of our sanctification or being made holy or being made like Christ. It's a pretty neat story, isn't it? We're going to look at that last chapter now for a moment. Sanctification. The purifying of our hearts and making us holy. And Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, Blessed are the pure in heart. How pure is your heart? These days, mine doesn't feel all that pure. What does it mean, the purifying of our hearts? It sounds like work is what it sounds like. It sounds like change, and we all love change, don't we? Especially when that change has to happen in us. I gained weight over COVID. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand if, if you did too. Can you imagine what I'm doing these days? I'm on day five of a new regimen. Whoopee. 
And right now, some of you look delicious. <laughs> I have a serious flaw. I've gotten seriously overweight during the last two years. I fought admitting it for months. After all, don't most of my pants have stretch waistbands? And my dear wife loves me and also knows that too much nagging will get me upset. So I think Ruth just prays that finally I'll get it and come to my senses and do something. It is so hard to come to terms with our flaws and our faults, isn't it? So why King David penned this verse. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. Psalm 51. Remember King David? When he was a young lad, a shepherd boy, and God called him through the prophet Samuel and told him he was going to be king. And later on, it said of David, he was a man after God's own heart. And what did this man after God's own heart do? He became an adulterer and he became a murderer. Man after God's own heart. But David was restored. And God called him back, and David responded and changed, and he became the psalmist and the great king. And that's the reason why we see a psalm like this, Create in me a pure heart, O God. David knew the weakness of his heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. So not only, but that continues next hour, and tomorrow, and next week, and next month. Just like I have to take a long time to get rid of what I've taken a long time to put on. I need a steadfast spirit. And so do we all when it comes to our hearts. There are so many verses about the heart and the need for it to be changed and purified. What is our heart in scriptural terms anyway? When the Bible uses that word, it certainly goes beyond the organ in our chest that pumps blood. Our messages are, will be about the, our emotions. But these Bible passages are talking about our heart. And we're going to try to answer the question right now, what's the difference between the Bible's use of the heart and our emotions? Because that's an interesting question. We don't see the word emotions written in the Bible too often, do we? So what is the heart? First Chronicles, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. Scripture doesn't even use the word heart with precision. No, it doesn't. It's not using the word heart in a technical term all the time. Because it contains all sorts of nuances, all sorts of shades of possibilities, but it clearly says God understands our hearts, so maybe we'd better try to understand them too. God knows us intimately. That, of course, bothers us at times. Sometimes we're grateful that he does, and other times we wish he could just kind of just stay like a friend and a little bit on the outside. Because we know, like was in the children's time this morning, uh, that there are times when we have separated ourselves from him. He searches our heart, say the scriptures. And our heart has different aspects when it's described in scripture. And I could go on a long time here. Our heart is at times described as being our emotions, at times our thoughts, and at times our wills, our decision making. All of these are used in the heart. So when scripture talks about the heart, it may mean all of these at the same time, or sometimes God concentrates on one of these in a particular passage of scripture. But whatever it is, when these, the heart is being described, it's us. It's the inner you. And you're a complex mess inside, just like I am. Of all sorts of things going on, of good and bad, of resolve and weakness, of joy and sorrow, of anger, and peace. And you put all of these together, and you have them last over a long period of time, and they form what we call our personalities in the language of today. 
I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all of, your, all of my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful th- deeds. This person, the psalmist, is thankful and excited about God's wonderful deeds. There's an emotion. This person is going to do something about those things. He's going to go and speak and take an action after deciding. All three aspects, our emotions, thoughts, and will, are even just in this particular verse here. But we're centering on our emotions. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is like a continual feast. From Proverbs. Like this verse from Proverbs describes, emotions are not always just fleeting things. Certain emotions can form the core of our beings, our personalities. If you don't know me very well, you may think that I am a naturally exuberant and outgoing person. By nature, I tend to be cynical. I have to deal with that. I tend to be depressive. I tend to deal with that. And I can be very introverted. Some of you are laughing and saying, it can't be. That's true. All of that is true. When I teach or preach, I'm on. And so I have to be somebody to communicate. But a depressive, cynical introvert speaking here isn't terribly exciting to listen to, aren't they? So I have to be what's necessary. I put on that external. But that's part of me, of my personality. And certain emotions form the core of my personality. Some emotions are good and some are... It's not particularly wrong or right to be an introvert. It's what you do with it. It's not even particularly wrong to be a cynical in this day and age because there's a lot of things to be cynical about. But what do I do with it? The process of sanctification begins when we accept Christ, publicly confirm it. It means the sanctification not just of our actions, because that's what we think about. I'm going to do the right thing. Where do you think sanctification has to get a hold first? The heart, and that starts with our thoughts, yes, our thought life, but it also goes to our emotions. And my brothers and sisters, you are going to resist this with all of your being if you are a normal individual. Emotion, our emotions are supposed to be renewed and purified and sanctified along with our actions. Our emotions need to be yielded to God. Yielded emotions. The implications are tremendous. They're challenging. And they may even seem frightening. Because dealing with our flaws and faults is hard. And there's a difference between flaws and faults. I'm, I'm, giving, I'm just going to say there's a difference. Flaw is something you're stuck with. Your fault is something you own and you like. I have flaws. I also have faults. You have flaws and you have faults. You have flaws. You may... I may have a tendency to being overweight because my family has a history of being overweight. That could be a flaw. My fault is I like to go downstairs at night to the cupboard and raid it. It's hard to deal with them. Why? For some of us, it's hard to recognize them. This is the old saying, you know, I'm a distinctive individual. You're unusual. They're weird. What are they saying about us? You're weird. We excuse things in us that we're willing to forgive in our friends and that we get upset about in people who we're not close to. We do it all the time. 
it may be hard to admit to them. If I admit them, or if I seek help, that's a sign of weakness. And most of us, unless we have a tendency to be victims in our personalities, don't like to be weak. How are you doing, brother or sister in Christ, this morning? Just fine. When nothing is fine at all. And it may be that we're used to them. Like, I like overeating. Or I like feeling in control. Or whatever. And this means we may be blind to what's wrong with us. We may be scared to, uh, about what's wrong, commit what's wrong with us. Or we may be just plain comfortable with where we are. It's not an easy process. When we become a law aware of our flaws, what are we supposed to do about them? Well, first we have to ask for the ability to be aware. We have to seek to look at ourselves. We have to trust the person next to us who tells us, you know what, something's going wrong in you right now. But our first response is to back away. Sometimes even when God wants to tell us what's going on inside of ourselves. And then we can back away from God. Don't tell me I'm an angry person, God. I have a right to be angry. We're going to deal with somebody in the scriptures later on who told God he had a right to be angry. And we'll see how God responded. When we become aware of our flaws, what should we do? Even as we go through the series, you may become aware of some of your flaws and imperfections. The great theologian of the Reformation, the return of the church to biblical faith in the 16th century, John Calvin talked about awareness of flaws and faults. There is no doubt that all devout and faithful folk, whenever troubled by awareness of their faults, Lord, let me be aware of my faults, may remind themselves of their baptism, that from it they may be fully reassured of that unique and continual cleansing we have in Christ's blood. When you become aware of your faults, remind yourselves of your calling in Christ. As he says, your baptism, so that you may be reassured that you can what? Be what? Cleansed, which means there's going to be a change a-coming, isn't there? So when you become aware of your faults, stop and say, Lord, you called me, you made me. I guess i got to do something about it. And i got to do something about it is our wills, right? Making the decision. So we have to stop and think. We have to deal with our emotion that says, I don't want to. And then we have to decide to do it. And that isn't just about the big things, that's the small thing when you go and on the way home today you cut somebody off or somebody cuts you off in traffic. The reason why we we're told to pray without ceasing. Sure need to do it while you're driving. God promises cleansing. Now I'm going to make a jump here. We think of our faults, sins such as unkind words and cutting remarks and greed and power tripping, sexual, falling into sexual temptations. As I said earlier, we frame these all as actions. But something comes before these actions. What of the faults you're thinking or that lie in your emotions or that follow you around are the result of you listening to your emotions instead of evaluating your emotions and giving them to God? You see where we're going? If we commit ourselves wholly to God, that includes our hearts, our emotions, and our personalities. And we accept God's sign that we are His and that He is here to give us grace when we struggle. When we fail, because we do fail. You fail, and 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 I fail. We fail. We make mistakes. But we hide from admitting it. We try to hide from God and we try to hide from other people. And yet we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the community. We are called to be in and part of each other. We are called to love each other and heal each other and to work with each other. But we stay as separate little people. And it hard to admit when we should be in prayer with each other. <laughs> COVID go away so we can put our arm around each other. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. How are you feeling today, my brothers and sisters? 
I suppose at this stage of the message, we should have called it baptized and sanctified hearts. And it's here we meet resistance. I'm trained as a counselor and as a pastor. I've met resistance when doing general or pastoral counseling whenever this idea is brought up. To move forward, to deal with my flaws and my sins, to become more like Jesus, I have to give my heart, and in this case, my emotions to God, and it's hard because it is so deeply and so intimately personal. It's the core of our beings that is being peeled aside. In the Narnia Chronicles, there's this wonderful scene of a young boy who's, being, who's met the lion Aslan, and he's been turned into a dragon. A creature that is unloved and considered to be evil. And to clean him, the lion who represents Christ has to peel the dragon scales off of the boy. Scale after scale and shell of dragon, shell after dragon, shell of dragon. All of the extras and things until it gets down to the core. To the very inside. And he's a boy again. He's restored to who he was made to be. And when it comes to our emotions, they lie at the core of our being. They're not, just under the, they're not even under the control of our thoughts. They come unbidden so often, don't they? And yet we need to be able to give those to our living God. There's emotional problems and spiritual problems, and they can be linked we need to first see our flaws. We need the Spirit to guide us in how to deal with them. And we need to let God and others into our heart life. Is a prayer from Psalm 139 a necessary prayer, a frightening prayer, because it brings us face to face with our, our emotions, face to face with ourselves by God's power, written by that adulterer and liar and, liar and murderer, King David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts, see if there's any evil way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Later today, we're going to be joining in communion. And I'm sure we'll hear the scripture about examining ourselves. And hear the prayer of confession. So it's a pretty key question to ask ourselves. Am I open? Am I ready to deal with my sins and my flaws that prevent me from moving forward with God? How deep am I willing to open myself to God and his change in my life? How much am I willing to trust God and to trust my brothers and sisters to help me? Because we really do need God to help us, don't we? We really, really do. Let's look at our damaged hearts for a moment. If I was to sit down with you at the moment you got angry over something, these are some of the responses I might hear. Go away. You have no right. You don't understand. You ever said that? Ever been 13 years old? I said that to my parents many times. What issues? I have a right to be angry. The devil made me do it. It's genetic. Did you know that there is a genetic predisposition to anger in a number of individuals? And we can look at the specific genetic combination and discover that you have, that I have that tendency. Big deal. Let's deal with it. Not just celebrate it. Let's celebrate that genetically I'm angry. Well, that makes sense. It's the way I was raised. It was my parents' fault. You know, your parents may have done a lousy job. They may have. But you're not a kid anymore. What are you going to do with what you were given? If you're given a mess, do you let it lie on the ground and stay there, or do you clean it up? We've got our kids coming over this afternoon, finally getting family together for a period of time. Ruth made a great big pot of onion soup on Friday. Yesterday, we went into the garage where we have it because the garage is quite cool. Ruth moved the stool, and what happened to that pot, babe? 
It fell all over the floor. A gallon and more of onion soup. We could have just let it sit there, but what did we have to do? Clean it up. Still gonna smell like onions for a while in there. Or it's my other life experiences. Yeah, all these things touch upon what made us the way we are. But the question is, where are we going to go from here? The issue isn't what made you this way yesterday. The issue is what you're going to do about it today so you can be all who you were made to be tomorrow. It's a process in our lives. Don't stop at the past. To stop at the past and say, God can't do anything in this area of my life, I can't do anything in this area of my life, is denying the power of God and the healing he wants to bring. If we're serious about our commitment to Christ and do believe in his work in our lives and power to change, we have to confront every aspect ourselves, of ourselves if we are to be sanctified. A great preacher of the past, Charles Spurgeon, talked about the connection between our hearts and our faith and made explicit what he meant by the heart. But if you have a, heart which, a faith which never touches your heart, a faith which never causes you to rejoice or mourn, a faith which neither makes you hate nor sin nor love the Lord Jesus, I charge you, shake off your faith as Paul shook off the viper from his hand, for it is a deadly faith. Only the living faith which works upon the heart and influences the desires and the emotions can be the faith of God's elect. Only the living faith which works upon the heart and influences the desires and the emotions can be the faith of God's elect. Committing ourselves wholly to God, including our hearts. But again, we ask, I ask, do we? Does our faith touch our hearts and our emotions? This is a different concept for many of us to think about sanctification of that aspect of our being. But I ask you to bring it before the Lord at the table and this week to see if God has areas of your life, of your emotions, of your inner core of your being that need to be touched. Things that may have been there since you were a child. I'm going to make some important and tricky distinctions here. One, emotions can be wrong. You've heard it said, and counselors will say this, and I'm trained as a counselor, but I've had counselors say to me, you can't say this to anybody. Your emotions are wrong. No, they can be wrong. They can be wrongly shaped. They may be natural. They may come unbidden. But what do I mean by an emotion can be wrong? Well, first of all, if you're angry when you think somebody cut you off, but you weren't paying attention, and they had their blinker on, is that emotion of anger right or wrong? It's certainly wrongly placed, wasn't it? Because it's based upon nothing real. When I say an emotion can be wrong, or an emotion can even be evil, it can have an evil source. It can have a wrong source. It can have an evil effect on us and on others. Sometimes our emotions can be used even as tools of Satan. But because we experience them, we're not necessarily sinning when we do. If I have an immediate fear or anxiety or worry, if I grew up in a household, we have a dog, rescue dog, that rescue dog, for years, when I came in, if I picked up a broom or a newspaper or something, that dog was afraid. Why was that dog afraid? because the previous owner had beaten that dog. Mercifully, that dog doesn't re respond that way anymore. But we can respond that way. We can be people who respond to what happened in the past and without thinking, unbidden. We can be fearful. We can be angry. We can get depressed. The sin doesn't occur. You have that emotion. You're not sinning because you feel that experience. It's the case of what you do about it that determines what's going on.
Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5 about looking at another person lustfully in our hearts? It could be like committing adultery. The emotion of lust or desire, if fed, indulged, leads quickly and inevitably towards sin and defeat. We can't indulge our emotions either. God has given us minds to think about them and wills to do something about them, just like God has given us our emotions so that we can be excited about things and learn about them and then make decisions to do them. Do you see how all three of those are interrelated? Our minds, our emotions, and our thoughts. Now, should we use scripture or psychology when we deal with our emotions? By now, some of you may be saying, this is a church talking about the heart's okay, but the word emotions isn't in the Bible. That's psychology you're using, Mark, not scripture. And you're right, partly. Though I have mentioned how the heart works in scripture. You're going to see that in the Christian faith and in the secular world, there is a divide. There is a fight going on. Some Christians say it's wrong to use psychology and counseling or even to use the terms mental health. They say all problems are spiritual in nature. And then there are those, of course, who say, well, not Christians, who say all of that spiritual stuff is garbage. And so I'm going to briefly cover ground I did several years ago here. The view of relationships of scripture to psychology or science. One end says God made people. His word is sufficient. Follow scripture. The other side says the person, everybody can be understood by science. Follow psychology. And we think, oh, do I have to choose one of those two? Other people say, follow scripture. Be aware of possible health issues. But other people say, Scripture, your Bible, and psychology deal with two completely different issues. Let the spiritual be the spiritual, and let the physical be the physical. Or a last approach is that all truth is God's truth. And that when we, as Christians, study humanity, study the mind, and study the heart, we can learn that sometimes genetics affects our emotions. Sometimes our bodies affect our emotions. And we need to accept that and understand how to deal with the pains and struggles we face. Science only partly understands the brain. It does not understand the mind fully, and it does not understand the spirit. And counseling psychology uses theories. And some of those theories are agree with scripture, some are neutral, and some oppose. So we'll talk about how when you go to a counselor, how do you consider that counselor? How do you choose them? The Bible takes the lead. There is a place for psychology. The Bible takes the lead. There is a place for psychology. But it must be subject to scripture. Should we go to a doctor? Do you go to a doctor? Do you go to a physician? Now, there are some Christians who believe that God can heal, so we should seek healing through prayer alone, and yet Luke, the doctor, isn't condemned in Scripture. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick, and Jesus said people need a doctor. And it's even going back to the Old Testament, it says, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. See what's going on there? He, King Asa in 2 Chronicles only sought help from physicians, not from the Lord. Maybe we should pray before we go to the doctor. Maybe we should say, Lord, I give this illness to you. And I will go, and, and if, you, if I'm to go to the physician, guide my thoughts, and take me there, may I hear, may I respond well, my physician respond properly. So you see, our emotions, thoughts, and wills are also connected to our bodies. And we need to recognize that, that our bodies play a part, and that's why we have doctors. And that's why we can even use the term mental health. Each affects the other. The body affects the heart, affects the spirit, affects the body, and in a great big cycle, back and forth. When one area is damaged or sick, it can and will affect the others. Have you ever been tired? that kept you from praying, and later on you got discouraged? Do you see a connection? That's your body affecting your spirit, affecting your emotions, affecting your 
thinking affecting your will. There's so many ways in which our hearts can be influenced and dragged down, but even more, and this is a key scriptural truth that we must remember, if our hearts hold our emotions, we have a problem. Anybody know what it says in Jeremiah? The heart is deceitful of all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Only God can open up to us the truth of who we are and the source of our emotions and how we are to deal with our lives. Because our hearts are deceitful. That's why they need to be purified. That's why they need to be sanctified. God knows us intimately. Not just our actions. We can't wall off our thoughts. And we can't wall off our emotions from him. And it's our thoughts and emotions that lead to our actions. The Old Testament understood this. And used the symbol of circumcision. To explain God's work in his people. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the symbol of circumcision in the New Testament is replaced with what? Does anybody know, theologians out there? What's the sign of God's people? Baptism. Just as in the Old Testament there was the sign of circumcision, in the New Testament the sign is baptism. And Colossians says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life. In a moment, the Lord's table. We're going to be hearing our call, the call to examine ourselves, and we need God's help to do this. It's called yielding. It's called surrendering anew. Remember the call of God to you in your life. Remember your prayer of repentance. Remember your yielding and your baptism. God wants to heal your heart to bring needed change. And if you have never yielded to God, never answered his call, now is the time to be raised to new life. To let your heart respond to what you have heard and then make a decision that says, God, I will follow you. And yield all of you, including your emotions, including those inmost private feelings. I love this quote by Laura Story, a singer-songwriter. Our emotions are made by God, yet they too must bow before him. My brothers and sisters, that's what we're to do. Can you imagine a life without emotions? I can't, especially a meaningful, inter interesting one. I can imagine and wish for a life with just the right balance of emotions without the traumatic damage caused to me or other people by at times out-of-control emotions. I asked Ruth if I could share the story. This week, it was Wednesday or Thursday, I guess Ruth woke up with an achy body, happens when you get old. And there are a number of things to think about. And she was tense, and she became and started to feel very anxious, not knowing why, but just feeling incredibly anxious. She can do that well. I do the depression part a whole lot better. And after our devotions, we talked about to deal with that, and I took the dog out for a walk so that Ruth could go and spend some time alone with God, listening to some worship music, praying about the feeling of anxiety, and I suggested to her she read Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. Now, it didn't mean that she was quote-unquote cured of her emotions, of that anxiety, but she was given the strength to endure them and felt God's presence with her. And that's what I want for all of you, and that's what I want for me. God's presence with me as I'm experiencing my life so that the, the rough edges can be knocked off and I can go through and come to victory in Christ.
Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. In the next three weeks, we'll be looking at three different sets of emotions that affect us. Sometimes these pass quickly. For others, they're a constant part of our lives, but they all must bow before God. Sadness through depression, annoyance through anger, through rage, worrying through crippling anxiety, we'll get to them. But for, day, for today, now, it's a time for looking inward, for being honest with ourselves, for asking God to show us and mold us, to cleanse us, to sanctify our emotions, to heal our hearts. Amen. As uh, we prepare this morning to... Uh, um, to partake at the, the Lord's table, and as we respond to the word that we have just heard, we're going to sing Refiner's Fire, also as a prayer, asking the Lord to do His work in our hearts. Purify my heart, let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart, let me be as gold, pure gold, refiner's fire. one desire is to be holy set apart for you Lord I choose to be to do your will purify my heart cleanse me from within and make me holy purify my heart cleanse me from my sin Fire. My 
sacredness of this moment as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want to invite you to do something. We're going to change the order of the service just a little bit here now. And I want you to take this time now to do just as Pastor Mark has indicated earlier. Search me, O God. Know my heart today. See if there be any wicked way within me. And you know what? Come to this table now. Come to the sacrifice of Christ and let him cleanse you of that. Invite him to come in, to search you, to show you anything. Would you pray with me? Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Lord God, the sacrifice you desire is a broken heart, a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Father, in the sacredness of this moment, help us to look inward, to see what you see there. Help us to know, Father, the things that you want us to deal with in our lives. And may we come and offer them, Father, to you now, inviting you to come into the very depths of our inner beings and to do your lavish, lavish work of grace and mercy, forgiving us, accepting us just the way we are with all of our baggage, all of our emotions, all of who we are. Do your work of grace and mercy. And Lord, as we gather together as your people in this moment in time, we come as your people, O oh Father, and we want to lift our hearts in praise and worship and adoration to the God who has done it all for us through Jesus Christ. For the God who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. For the God who knows us better than we can even know ourselves. We come, we bow, we worship, we praise you, O Lord, for you are God and we are not. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for doing what we could never do for ourselves because you lived that one and only perfect and sinless life so that when the time was right, you could offer it up and that sinless blood was enough in God's economy to pay for all of our sins, the sins of this world. Thank you that death could not hold you because sin had no grip on you. And you rose victoriously from the grave. And you live today interceding for us at the right hand of God, our Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all you have done for us. Thank you that we can come, we can gather around this table. We can worship as your people in this time and place. And we can live as those who belong to you. This morning, dear God, we want to pray for, for our people here at the church. We think particularly of those who are grieving. We want to pray with, for Ida and Brian, the recent loss of Ida's brother for Mary and, and the loss that she has suffered in the third of her sister's passing in the past year and a half. 
We think of Katrina and Andrew and their family with the loss of a grandmother. For Claire and his family with the homegoing of Evelyn. For Dorothy and her family with the loss of Gord. And of course, we can't forget Aminter and the, the difficulty that those three sons of Shana's are going through now. Please, dear God, meet all of those who are grieving at the place where they are hurting. Minister to them and touch them and bless them in a way that only you can. And Father, we think of those who are needing a healing touch, a physical touch. We think of Peter and Eva's father back in the Czech Republic. And we pray, Father, for healing for him. And of course, for the greatest healing of all, the need of salvation in his heart and soul. We think of Joanne, who's struggling with vertigo, and Mary's niece and nephew, who all have issues. We think of Janice as she continues to heal. We think of so many others in our midst, Father, who are, who are suffering and who are recovering. We think of Grace, home from the hospital, but now having to quarantine. And we pray, Father, that you will just touch these individuals and everyone, Father, who is not well. Bring healing and wholeness and wellness into their bodies, we pray. We think of our seniors. We think of Stan and Catherine, of Willa and Dale and Marilyn and Lise and Evie and, and Esther and Doreen and Ruth and Freeman and others that I'm sure I've missed. Father, we pray that you are the God who will be with them, the God who was there with them when they can't get out and be with the ones that they long to be with. We pray that you will meet the needs they have in this time of their lives. Father, we think of those who are looking for work, those who are needing help. We think of those who have no place to call home, those who need food, those who need to know that they are just simply loved and accepted for who they are. We do pray for our Pastor Gary and Jennifer and the boys as they begin their sabbatical time now, Lord. We pray that you will, you will use this time to especially speak into their hearts and their lives, that you would refresh them, and that, Lord, you would be drawing them into a place where they have never yet walked with you. Go, Father, take them, bless them, work in their hearts, lives, and minds, and above all, in their spirits and souls, and bring them back safely to us. We thank you for our church. We thank you for our church family. We thank you that we can still gather, we can still worship, we can still fellowship with one another, albeit in different ways than we would like. To you alone, we give the praise and glory. For you are God, we are not. And we bow before our awesome God, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, this would be a good time for you folk at home yeah, to have your uh, communion elements ready. And here in the sanctuary, you might want to take these little packets you got, you know, on your way in and peel back that first little bit of cellophane so you can pull the wafer out at the right time. And then so you're not fumbling with the juice, you can have that started and, and ready for you. Um, also, I would just like to make a mention of one need we have here in the church, and that is that winter time can be a very difficult time for a lot of folks and families, and it's also a time when we get a lot of requests for help here at the church, and because we have had a number of requests and we have stepped up to meet them, our benevolent fund is getting a little low. That's all I think I need to say. And if God places it on your heart to, to put some money in towards benevolence, I'm sure the treasurer would appreciate that deeply. And God will use it greatly. My friends, as we come to the table of, of the Lord, we come in hope. We come believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of the feast of love that we will one day partake of when Christ's kingdom has fully come, when we will see him face to face, when we will be made like him in his glory. Since by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, 
Jesus has has obtained for us the life-giving Spirit, who now unites us all as one body, so we are to receive this supper in true love, sharing in the fellowship of one another together with our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who invites you to come. It is Jesus who invites you to this table. You who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who have come often and you who perhaps have not come for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed. Come, come. It is Jesus who invites us to meet him here to rest our weary souls and to leave our heavy burdens with him. Come because he is humble. Come because he is gentle at heart. Come and you will find rest for your souls. Come. May we pray. God of grace and God of wonder, how can we ever truly say thank you for everything that you have done for us and through your and through your and through Jesus Christ your son our savior and lord when sin ruined your plan for the world you just didn't stand by you just didn't wipe it all out and start over no you put the way of the cross into action and the way that leads sinful humanity to forgiveness to you and ultimately to a glorious external eternal life You provided the sinless lamb, your only son, pure and holy. You grew the tree that would fashion the the vile cross upon which he would one day give his precious life. And you did it all for us. Even though we were living with our backs turned against you. So now as we come to this table... We thank you that you not only provided the way, but that you also provided this table so that we might keep our eyes fixed upon the one who is both the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for giving us this table as your gift to us so that we would never forget, never doubt your love, your grace, your mercy. And now in the sacredness of this moment in time, we thank you for this bread we are about to receive as we remember the broken body of Christ. We thank you for the cup we are about to lift to our lips as we remember the blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Indeed, O Jesus, we thank you for all we are about to receive. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, they were in the upper room, eating their last meal together, the last supper. In the course of that meal, Jesus picked up bread, bread right off the table, the bread they were eating. He lifted it before his disciples, and in their presence, he broke that bread. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. As you take the bread from the nail-scarred hands of the one who is the very bread of life, receive it gladly, eat it thankfully, for this is the body of Christ broken for you. Do this to remember him. After that, Jesus took a cup, a cup filled with the wine that they were drinking at that meal. And Jesus took that cup, many believe it was the cup of blessing, the third cup of the Seder meal. And he lifted it before his disciples, and he said, this, is, this cup is the cup of my 
is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So as you take the cup from the one whose side was pierced so his blood would flow, receive it gladly, drink it thankfully, for this cup is the new covenant sealed by Christ's blood, which was shed so that the forgiveness, so that the sins of many might be forgiven. Do this to remember Jesus. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Go and.